Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back everybody to Savage to Sage. This is Daniel, the co-host, and I'm super excited to be joined today by Atif Safar. And Atif is the co-founder and CTO of Brain Technologies, and he is also involved in multiple ventures, and I'm sure he'll talk about a few of those as well today. But first off, welcome, Atif. Really glad to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to share my story. Fantastic. So first, I like to start out with, give us the quick elevator pitch for Brain Technologies. What what are you building? What are you working on there? Okay. So we're in the midst of what we call the fourth computing revolution. So computers started back in the 60s and 50s with systems that took the size of a room. Then in the 80s, we had desktop systems such as the Apple II and the Macintosh that were miniaturized versions of the larger machines because we could you know, downscale the technology. Then in the 90s and the 2000s, we came up with mobile devices, PC, you know, laptop PCs and on pilots and things like that. There were still computers, but they were miniaturized. We're now in the fourth computing revolution where computers are not really physically there in front of you. They're ambient. The idea is what's called ambient computing. So an example is the Amazon Alexa. You just, you, you talk to it. It sits there in the background and it's just there, you know, perpetually and you talk to it. Your car's voice recognition system is a computer. In the future, what's going to happen, computing technology is going to evolve to the point where they'll be wearable They'd be located in the walls of, a, of your house. You talk to them, you interact with them in different ways than with a mouse and a keyboard or a, or a character interface, anything like that. So the processing needed to process the kinds of data that are required in those newer generation systems you know, is not available on older processors. So like a 68,000 can't process speech and audio and all those things simultaneously. It's just not capable. We need new processing architectures that are what we call heterogeneous. So if you look at the, the processing that's inside your cell phone, like a, a Snapdragon processor, you know, it has multiple cores. It has serial processing cores. It has a GPU. It has a DSP chip for processing audio and video. Um, it has a security processor. All these are combined on a single chip. So you need these types of new, new generation systems to process the kinds of ways we're interacting with computers. We as, as a small company thought that's neat. But we don't have the, the wherewithal and the money to go build our own system on a chip. It takes about $100 million or more to go build a system on a chip. So we said, well, we, we want to innovate in this space. Why don't we design a system on a board? So why don't we take the best of breed of all of these types of technologies and put them on a single board computer? So we have three different chips now on a board. We have a Snapdragon from Qualcomm. We have a device called an FPGA, which is a field programmable Gatorade from Intel, a mid-range product from Intel. And we have a massively parallel multi-core processor from a company called Calray. It's a French company. So in aggregate, we are able to now process 5 trillion operations in a single second. And the device only uses the power of a light bulb. So it's a pretty amazing, amazing technology. You know, we were able to build that with less than a million dollars. And we have some very large customers now very interested in that, in that technology. And we can program it from one access point. For example, you don't have to know the programming environments for all the three chips. We have one programming environment that can access the individual tools located in all those chips. And so you can program it from one point of, point of contact. Hmm. That That is fascinating. I think the techie listeners that listen are going to 
you know, understand most of what you said. And I think I probably understood about a quarter of what you're, what you said coming from like a non-technical background. Uh, but excited to, to hear what you're stepping into. And it also, like, I can hear the excitement and passion in your voice for, for doing that. Um, so talk a little bit about your story about how you, how you got into entrepreneurship, because from what you shared with me before we hit record, I understood it as like, you are a doctor by night and a entrepreneur by day. Is that, is that fair? That's correct. So, you know, I come from a very traditional Asian family where you kind of assume the profession of your parents. And so my mother being a physician, you know, she pushed all her kids into medicine. So I, I followed in her footsteps. I mean, I, and I'm glad I did because it opened up doors for me that otherwise wouldn't have existed. I've, I've had about a 25 year career in medicine and have done everything from running an ICU and an ER to, you know, in a level one trauma center to working on national projects. For example, the national health IT website uh, at HRQ, I create, I helped create that. I was on president Bush's advisory council for electronic medical records, had $25 million in grants, wrote a book chapter, 30 papers, you know, all those things I've done the, taken, I've done everything in the academic route. So back in 2010, I left that to become an entrepreneur. Uh, in 2005, I met a gentleman at a wine tasting that wanted a physician's help to start a company. And that's where the medical kind of background really kind of came into being, where I really needed to be a physician at that moment to kind of meet this gentleman and you know uh, partner with him to do the things we're doing. And he showed me how to start companies. He showed me the passion behind your own ideas and how you you know bring them to reality. He showed me how to write business plans and you know um, three-page uh, executive summaries and a pitch deck. How do you talk to investors? How do you start companies? You know, what are the different categories? So I learned that. And then I really kind of, it snowballed from there. I had my own passions, my own ideas. And knowing that background, I was able to then execute on my own ideas and create my own companies. And here I am, you know, in 2023 with actually 12 companies now doing highly disruptive technologies in many different areas. That's awesome. So what what was it that was like that fire in you of like I need to pursue entrepreneurship? I mean, you in the eyes of like the outsider, like you have as a physician, I mean, and what you shared, you have this like successful doctor medical practice. So like what was it that that sparked you to to pursue that? So I've always been a very creative person, even from a very young age. You know, I was into uh, doing drawings and, and music and all the other crafts, you know, building toys on my own with things, with scraps laying around the house. You know, so I've always been a very creative person. I mean, I needed something to kind of fuel those creative energies. And medicine wasn't it. Medicine is a very kind of service-oriented profession. It didn't give me the satisfaction of being able to create something anew and bring it to life. So having that as sort of the the deepest of my inner needs, entrepreneurship seemed like a very natural thing for me to do. And having the ability to, it's and it's not the money aspect. It's just the ability to generate something new and have people use it. That's what it is. Money is not my, my driving force. Money follows, but it's not why I'm doing things. You know, I do what I do. Everything I'm doing, for example, somehow helps humanity. Every project I have somehow helps humanity. So it's not, I'm, you know, I, I, and that's what drives me. And if I make money in this, I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to probably give it away, right? A lot, most of it. You know, you have these very rich people that spend half their lives making money and the other half giving it away. So my, my goal is why don't you start early when you can still see the fruits of your, your philanthropy and make the world a better place. So that's my, 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 my passion. That's brilliant. 
So being a, a doctor by night, entrepreneur by day, it reminds me of the whole concept of our show, why we have the, the title that we do, um, Savage to Sage. It Savage really represents kind of what what it requires to for somebody to stand up a new business for you to like you you're talking about to have all these creative ideas and not just write it down on paper or you know put it in code on on your computer but to do something about it and say hey I'm going to put time and money and energy and bring talented people around this to to try to bring this product to market and so describe what the savage days have been have been like for you in terms of pace intensity you know if are you getting any sleep like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah so i don't get much sleep um but that's beside the point i think i've learned a lot of lessons along the way and from the very outset you know it's it's the, the first lesson i learned is really it's your team that matters um you it's not just you it's who you have around you as steve jobs used to say you know you don't want to put people around you who you have to tell something you have to tell them what to do you have to pick people around you who tell you what to do. You know, that's how you grow and learn. Um, you have to have a team around you that's done there, been there, done that. And they're the ones that show you how to, how to move the world. If it was the other way around, you would never get, never be successful. I've, I've put myself in that situation. I've, I've put people around me that uh, have been there and done that. And now they're able to, with my help and guidance and vision, can execute on some of these ideas. You know, with, with brain technologies, for example, we have engineers we have a PhD engineer who's written his own language for designing hardware. We've, we've got another engineer who's got products in the, the Computer History Museum, you know, in, in, in uh, very accomplished individuals. And so, and they share the same passion that I do. So having those people around me helps me be a much better entrepreneur. That was the first lesson I learned. We had initially started Brain under a different name, and we had two people that were just really deadbeats. They weren't doing anything. We had to dissolve the company and reform it under a different name. And and also the way we we started the new company, we didn't start the company and go find investors. We found the investor first and then started the company with the investor, you know, as a, as an equal partner. So in that way, for brain technologies anyway, we never have to look for investors. We have all the money we need. We have a blank check and we can do whatever we want. So it is the best feeling you have as an entrepreneur is it's a different way of starting companies. It's um, getting somebody who's an investor excited about your idea and then forming the company with them you know, as an equal partner. And even though I don't have as much equity as I would have had normally with another company, but it was my own. But guess what? I never have to go look for investors. That's a huge, huge load off my back. Yeah. I mean, you already have two full-time jobs and raising money right. would be a third full-time job. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So this gentleman is worth about 200 million and he, you know, we got a blank check. You know, you do whatever you want. He doesn't even bother us. He said, you guys learn and execute and I'm just behind you. I've heard of a couple scenarios like that before, but I never really put two and two together, but that makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It sounds almost idealistic, but at the same time, I'm sure there, there's a lot of intentionality and, you know, guardrails that you've had to put around that. But you said something before that about just putting people that like smart people and humble people kind of around you. Um, and, and you differentiated from people that you had tried to bring on before versus like this new, new group of people that are around you. So what, what did you learn in that process of like how to select the team members that are going to be the right fit for, 
for building with you? I think that's the critical piece that every company should should be able to do do is is really get the right talent and and get the right uh, people who, who each person has their individual role that is definable that is um, that is unique and they can contribute to the growth of the company. If you have people around you that have duplicate um, skill sets, then you're kind of wasting money. So that's the first thing I learned is don't have too many people who have the same skill set doing the same thing for your company. You just have to have individuals that are you know, kind of uh, leaders in their, in their own areas. They have been there and done that, and now they can help you do what you need to do. So um, having smart people around you, there's no substitute for that. These guys will teach you lessons that you will spend money learning otherwise. They'll tell you right away, this is not the way to do it, or this is the way to do it. Yeah, that's that's really smart. And I, I think we've all had those examples. If you've been around the block enough and have started different companies or where you brought people onto the team thinking, oh, this is going to be great. They're thinking this is going to be great. And then you get into it and realize this is not great. And and I think it's how it, two things, like how quickly do you pivot from that to to realize for hopefully both parties to realize this this isn't a great fit. And then secondly, what do you, you know, what do you learn from that to not repeat the next time and you know to make a better decision the next time? Yeah, those are those are the challenges all entrepreneurs face. Is, you know, uh, you know, if you're not being successful, what do you do? What are you doing wrong? And how do you fix the, the mistakes you're making that are not making you not successful? And sometimes you have to have a deep look inside your, your company and your your people and just really scrutinize them and, and figure out where the where the roadblocks are. And it, it might not be people. It might be technology. It might be the technology isn't ready for prime time or something like that. So you have to really understand your market very well. And a lot of people, you know, tend to have this notion that, um, you know, if, if you build it, they will buy, they will come and buy it. And that's not always the case. You know, as an entrepreneur, you have that, that vision, right? You're the one that evangelizes your own technology and you are very sure people are going to come and buy it. That's the wrong attitude. You have to have a realistic marketing person on your team who's going to tell you whether this is going to work in the market or not. That's very important. There are three people that are really important in your team. There's a CEO whose job is to go raise money. There's a CFO whose job is to do all the legal work and the company structure, give out stock and make sure that you're operating properly. And then there's a marketing guy who needs to tell you whether your stuff's going to actually sell or not. So you have to have those three people primarily placed, you know, and um, and vetted out. And um, then you can be sure that your idea might have a chance of success. Because you're competing with everybody else in the world, and it's, it's not easy. It's a savage world out there. Yeah, for sure. In those time periods where, I mean, especially when you first got into this, um, maybe you have a recent story with, with brain technologies where you had to learn a lesson the hard way. And it, more, more so on the personal side of like, you were, you were approaching something personally one way as a leader, and then you had to experience a challenge or failure to, to realize, oh, that's, that's not the way to go. Like, do you have a recent story or example of that? Yeah. So for example, the back about 10 years ago, when we started brain technologies, we, we found a contract manufacturer that was uh, quite primed to do our project. And we signed the agreement with them contract. And as we learned, um, we didn't have our own internal expert to vet what they were doing. And they gave us a lot of things that really didn't work. 
And uh, then we had to hire someone internally to be the, the vetting person who can say that, okay, they, are they doing a good job or not? We found out that they weren't. So we had to switch contract manufacturers. So the, the, uh, the lesson learned was that don't trust anybody uh, to deliver what you think they're going to deliver. You have to scrutinize them and vet them you know, at every step of the way to make sure. And, you know, coming from a non-entrepreneurial and sort of you know, background, most companies already do that. But I didn't have the knowledge or the background to, to do that. So that's what, that was a lesson, a lesson learned. And then, you know, you also have to vet the, the prices they're giving you. So you have to have multiple vendors, you know, kind of uh, bidding for your contract and then go through the process, even though it takes a little longer, but it's worth it because you'll get the, uh, a better deal. So those are just simple lessons learned that someone who's not an entrepreneur won't understand unless you're in it. Yeah. And I think, so I've had a couple of those scenarios and I, I think it's, it's taught me something about myself too. So for example, I, I want to be, if there's a spectrum of like empathetic on one end to like insensitive, aggressive on the other end, like I always want to be on this empathetic side and, you know, see the best in people. What I've learned is that's a great characteristic, but then there are certain cases, whether it's, you know, vetting a new person that's going to come onto the team a new partner that we're bringing on to serve particular area, you know, I could go down the list that that gets me into some trouble because instead of, you know, vetting somebody or, you know, an entity like in a much more stringent, like constructively critical way, I'm just going to kind of take their, you know, their best presentation and be like, Oh yeah, this is great. Um, because I'm, I'm, I want to see the best in that person or that company. Is there, is there an example of like, maybe not exactly like I described, but something like that for you about like a characteristic of yourself that you, you kind of learn through that process? Yeah. You know, as, as a novice entrepreneur, you're very trusting of everybody because you want them to come work for you. So you don't have the um, experience to say no to someone. As you grow as an entrepreneur, you learn that very quickly because you've had experiences where you brought people on that aren't performing to their optimal degree or they have the skill set and they just have other issues that lead them, you know, culturally to a different performance level or something, you know, a lot of things can happen. So what I've learned is, is that being empathetic isn't the, you know, there are friends and then there's business. You can't mix the two. You have to look at everyone as a uh, you know, as, as someone who's going to deliver some value to your company, and if they aren't, aren't delivering value, then it's time for them to leave, or they're not the right person. And you don't have to be, you know, harsh about it. You can just tell them politely, "Hey, this is the way things are. The way I see it, and you know, we don't think you're a good fit, and we have, we have to let you go." You know, and I've done that before. And sometimes there are personalities that don't fit. For example, in our current company, we have two very, you know, experienced people: one CEO and one business person. And they have their own vision for how to make things happen. And they clash sometimes. So, but, you know, in order to prevent these arguments between them, what we have to say is, look, we're all striving to a, 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 a common goal. And yeah, we may approach it from different angles, but we're still striving to get to a common goal. So the, uh, the arguments are not going to help us. They're just going to stifle the effort. So you have to go beyond the arguments, understand each other's value propositions, and let's go and make this thing happen. So I think sometimes you have to bite the bullet and just accept what someone else, someone's personality is in order to get the job done. Because, um, you know, they're going to, you're going to have bad days and learn beyond, beyond that to be able to say, 
Okay. The bad days are not going to stop me. Yeah, for sure. And talk, talk a little bit more about how you personally get, get through those bad days, because I think sometimes, especially when you on stage, you know, on stage where, when we're presenting ourselves or our company, we can make it sound, I do this all the time and make it sound like sunshine and roses. And the reality is, is there are some really hard days and it requires me to, to dig deep, to, to keep going, to, to find that passion. And so what for you is like a practice that you have in place that helps you to, to stay inspired, to stay creative, to, to keep, keep that passion flame going? My whole uh, mantra is that to me, the word impossible doesn't exist. The word impossible reads, I'm possible. Right? If you write it out, it reads, I'm possible. And so if, you, if I were to, I say to myself, if I have any idea, I alone can make that happen over a longer period of time. I don't need anybody else. I can learn the techniques, I can learn the technologies, and I can just do the entire thing myself. So with that as a background operating principle, I say to myself, okay, if I have a bad day, it doesn't matter. It's going to extend my timeline a little bit, and I can probably do it myself, but I have to grow beyond this bad day and not look at it as a way to stop me. So um, that helps me a lot because then no matter what happens, no matter if you're, even your product goes wrong or something, someone doesn't do their job, I always say to myself, I can do this by myself. And that keeps me going. Yeah. When I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they typically have like a practice that helps them to recharge you know, their battery. And, and it's something like completely outside of the business realm. So it's like, spending time with kids going on hikes or runs or bike rides or, you know, things like that. Is, is there something for you that helps kind of renew that, that creativity that's outside the business? I think just traveling and meeting people from other walks of life helps a lot. I mean, just going to a social event, you know, going to a show or going to, you know, the, um, the park or just going on a hike, going on a trip with someone, your friends, some of your other friends helps you decompress because then you see that your struggles aren't unique. Everybody else has the same struggles. They approach it slightly differently and you might learn some lessons from them too, but that you're not you know, the only one who's doing this in isolation. Everybody else around you has the same problems and they're finding ways around them too. So then that inspires you to say, okay, I can do this. I don't need to be upset about it or turn around. The worst thing an entrepreneur can do is, is look back. You know, you can, when, when you start something as an entrepreneur, you never look back. No matter how hard it's been, you never look back. The minute you look back, you start to fail. And there are no failures, right? They're only lessons. So you, you never count yourself out and say, I'm a failure because I couldn't do this or couldn't do that. I said, no, I had to learn that lesson in order for me to grow and move forward. And so, I, you know, I never look back on any project. I always have the, the forward-looking hope that this is going to work. It might take more time, but it's going to work. And I just have to keep pushing. Yeah, I, I like that. And I th- I, I'm wondering if you can differentiate a little bit because there there's like the looking back to to really learn in terms of, okay, what, how did we fail? What went wrong? Kind of that iteration process that is is important for every entrepreneur and every company to be like, okay, what, how do we fail? What can we learn from it? But then there's, I think you're, what I hear you saying is, like looking back and maybe living in regret. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, you know, I have, I have colleagues that have started companies and they've stopped because they thought they weren't going to be successful or 
and, and they may have stopped the company or dissolved it and done something else. I've got a very good friend that did that with a very prominent company that he just gave up because he wasn't getting any, any customers, but he wasn't doing the right marketing. So I think that you have to have the stamina if you're going to be an entrepreneur. There's, there are a couple of things that go into being an entrepreneur. One is the passion. You have to have the passion. Two, you have to have the stamina. It's very important. You have to think of it as a long-term investment. It's not going to happen in a, in a year. I mean, most companies take three to five years just to raise money for, for, for their projects. So you have to have the long-term vision. And three, you have to have the confidence that you're able to do it. It's very important that you have the right mindset. It's all about mindset. You know, if you have the right mindset that I'm going to do this no matter what, you're going to be successful because most people think things are impossible. And, but it's not that they're impossible. It's that you just, it's your own belief that they're impossible. Nelson Mandela had a very famous quote. He said, you know, everything seems impossible until someone does it. And then they find out, well, how did this person do it? You know, so it's, it's not that you can't do something. It's that your own mindset prevents you from doing something. So if you change your mindset to just say to yourself, I can do this no matter what, you're going to be successful. Yeah, I, I typically end on these shows on what's, what's a piece of advice that you would give to someone that's, you know, that's thinking about stepping out and or is, has just stepped out and they're, they're finding their way as an entrepreneur. And I, I really think that's, that's a profound insight and how, how important mindset is. I know like recently, I think it was a week ago, I was talking to someone who, who's a visualization coach and, and it's essentially like visualizing what is possible and what, what outcomes we want, want to see. And I don't know about you, but I think it's so hard to get out of the, what I'd call the, like the muck and mire of the day to day. Right. Like, Oh, I'm working on this project or this problem and I just need to get through it. But without the, without the end in mind. And that's, that's what I hear you saying in terms of mindset of like, yes. I want to have this, this end in mind and stay, stay focused on that. Because if not, you know, you can really easily just get caught up in, in the day to day. And in, like you said earlier, just locked in your own mind and, you know, maybe like a prison, not right. realizing. It's like how novelists write books. They have all these day-to-day distractions that prevent them from writing. But every single day, they have a set time of an hour or two hours where they're just focused on that, that, that writing that novel, whatever, whatever else. They just put that time in every single day. So that's what makes them successful. Yeah, it takes longer. They have all these distractions, but they're able to finish it. It take, might take a year, it might take two years more, but they're able to finish it. It's because they have that dedication to making that making that successful. So that's the same thing with any other entrepreneur. You know, you, you yeah, you're going to have a lot of distractions from family and life events and everything else, and your maybe your current job, but you have to set the time aside to say that you're going to do this and you're not going to be distracted. And during the the time that you have set aside for that activity, and it may take more time, but you'll be successful. Yeah, that's that's a really good place to stop. I, I think just because that that is so is so key because once when we take our mind off of like what is possible, where living with the end in mind, I, yeah, we we get stuck really easily. And I I think the other piece you said too is every entrepreneur has access, whether it's in their local community or virtually, to you know peer support. Absolutely. Of, of, of other entrepreneurs. And it's, it's so easy to get stuck in like that. woe is me mindset? 
Um, I can tell you I've been there many times. Um, but as soon as I reach out to someone in a similar place to me and just think, you know, I think about them, I ask them questions, I, I hear what's going on for them. It, it automatically just helps me to exit from, you know, the bondage of just being stuck in my own, my own woes. So one, one thing I've found that's very helpful is going to meetups where other entrepreneurs are pitching their ideas because you hear their stories and you hear the struggles they've gone through. And then they you should say to yourself, wow, this guy's really kind of been through the ringer, but he looked where he is right now, you know, she's or where she is right now. So it's very important to become a part of this larger community of entrepreneurs and you, you learn from each other. You give advice and you, give, you get advice back. So I think um, and they help you in ways that you, you might never even imagine network you to people that might become part of your team or, you know, um, open doors for you that might not otherwise exist. So it's very important to kind of think of community as well. And you don't believe you're doing this in isolation. Believe that you're doing it as part of a community of activity and that there are others who can help you. Got it. Yeah, that's, it's so good. And um, that's a good sage wisdom. Like we, we like to say, I, I think, you know, we're always on this in the entrepreneurial journey, there's always this, you know, back and forth of savage to sage. Um, it's not this linear process of like, all of a sudden you're going to arrive. Um, but I think you've, you've exampled a number of areas of like sage wisdom. And so thank you for that. And if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about you and, and brain technologies and some of the other ventures you're involved in, how can they get in touch with you? My email is just atif at braintechnologies.com. B-R-A-N-E technologies, one word. So teeth at braintechnologies.com. They're welcome to email me there. And I'm happy to talk to them. If, if you know, if you want to go on a Zoom call or do a meetup, happy to do that as well. Um, happy to you know, help others be successful. Soon I'll, uh, just to mention, soon I'll have my own fund. So uh, working with a gentleman who's getting a lot of money. So we're going to start a fund. So if anybody's interested in financing, I may be able to help there as well. Real quick, since you mentioned that, is do you have a target of like what type of companies you're you're looking at investing in? So we're looking in uh, in, in healthcare, technology, and telecom. Those are three areas. Uh, but we can do software. We can do you know other things too. But mostly those three areas are our focus right now. It's maybe a very large fund, probably at least a hundred million dollar fund. So um, that should be activated probably before the end of the year. Happy to, and, and we'll announce it on on LinkedIn and. and other places. So if anybody, and if anybody wants to connect me on, with me on LinkedIn, you're happy to, I'm happy to do that as well. So awesome. Well, thanks again and appreciate your sage wisdom and hearing your story today. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to today's interview to view show notes or hear more episodes. Please visit www.savagetosage.com.